0: My name is Luke. And I'm one of the leaders here at Renewal Church of Chicago. Occasionally, I get to share in some of the teaching and preaching. Um, And today is one of those days. If you remember, we are in the middle of an Advent series. Advent is this old Latin word. It means the arrival. The arrival, it's something that Christians have put on their calendars for centuries as a way to, in, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, to kind of shake us out of our cultural sleepiness and get our eyes on the whole person and purpose of Christmas, right? So Advent, we eagerly, as Christians, expect anticipate the arrival of Jesus and that's where we are we've heard the last couple of weeks that uh, pastor D has talked to us and uh, the first week he shared a little bit about God's big purpose his the big story arc of human history is is God uh, it, intending For the advent, the arrival of Himself for us, right? And then last week we saw Mary, and we we read a little bit about this nativity story through the perspective of Mary and her hearing from the messenger from God about what was going to happen with her and her song. And when she when she came to believe, what was her response? She turned in song and in worship to God. And today we're going to look at Joseph, and. who was Mary's fiance and we're going to look at the same story but through his perspective a little bit and through what uh, uh, how how he might have felt and what he might have experienced in this whole story. Does that sound good? But before we get started, I just have a question for you. Has anyone ever asked anything of you that is outrageous? Right? You got yes, all the time right here. Uh, it, you know, it, you know what I'm talking about? Like so maybe a more mundane example is the friend is like, "Hey, can you pick me up from the airport?" and you're like, you know the blue line exists, right? (laughs) Right? It's like why are we doing this again? Or uh, something like if you're a parent, you've had outrageous asks of you. I mean, certainly. Uh, Young children often ask their parents for the preferred gender of their baby brother or sister. Like, we have any control over this at all, right? If you're a boss, you know what an outrageous ask looks like. You've had an employee ask something and you're like, you know the CEO doesn't get that, right? If if you're an employee, you've had a boss come in at 6.35 on a Friday afternoon on a three-day weekend and say, hey, what about... And you're going, are you kidding me? Right? We've had outrageous things asked of us, and we've asked outrageous things. Today, part of what we're going to see in this passage is something asked of Joseph that, frankly, is outrageous. And we're going to see that, and we're going to read it together, and I can't think of a better way to get started than just to look at it. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. Uh, if you have it in, on your app or in your paper Bible, uh, that's that's great. If you don't, we'll we'll put it up on the screen. And when you get it, Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen, just go ahead and stand if you're able, and um, I'll read it. So Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen, says, "Now the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ took place in this way." You all may be seated. This is an incredible story. We've got, what, less than 10 verses here? And I, I think for most, the average reader, probably today, there are two characters that kind of that, that come to the surface, that pop off the page a little bit. One is Joseph. He's the guy who receives this message, this news about his fiance, and then the message from the angel. And the other character would be the baby, the, the infant, this, this Christ child himself. And so we're going to look at this through those two characters a little bit, and we're going to only have two points today. This is not a three point sermon, so you can celebrate, right? <laughs> we got a two point sermon, and, and here's what it is. Point one something outrageous is asked of Joseph. Point two something outrageous is done by God. Something outrageous is asked of Joseph. Something outrageous is done by God and in both of these both of these are critical to our understanding this passage So first, something outrageous is asked by Joseph. You know, last week, uh, Pastor D got to share a little bit with us about what what marriage would have meant for first century Jewish or Hebrew people, right? Marriage was kind of a two-stage affair. You had with step one, which was this betrothal period, a young woman or a a young girl, when she reached the age of puberty, she was eligible to be betrothed to another man, and perhaps the betrothal period would last one year, maybe three. And, and that, what that meant was she didn't select her spouse. No, it was a family, kind of the families coming together, perhaps her father and um, the husband-to-be or the father of the husband-to-be, they would make this arrangement. And part of that arrangement would be paying a dowry. In other words, the, the husband-to-be's family would pay the bride bright to be 's family for I- I- as part of this arrangement, and all of this is very foreign to us, I know, but it 's important because that 's what 's happening here, and so it 's important that we get at least kind of a cursory understanding of this two stage uh, uh, Marriage and what it meant, you know. So there was step one was the betrothal. Step two was all the full marital relations after the wedding ceremony, and that's why we have this language that might be a little bit confusing in this story, where they're not yet married, but it uses words like husband and divorce. Right? It's because of this. It's because of the betrothal period that is that is going on right now. Joseph is promised to Mary. Mary is promised to Joseph, and it's not just an engagement. It is legally binding right? This is a legally binding contract that they have. In other words, if it's going to be dissolved, it's going to look like divorce. You know, that's the best translation of this word, right? There's going to be a legal consequence and process to dissolving the, uh, the betrothal. That is the context within which Joseph finds himself when he receives word of Mary's pregnancy. Now, imagine this for a moment. We don't have the details, but but just imagine what it must have been like in a, in a in a context and in a culture and in a time when when almost everything that you're about is is given to you from your family, your family unit in the community is paramount, right? So everything that G, that, that uh, uh, Joseph would have um, built his future and, and burgeoning career on came out of the honor that was that was due his family right? So you're betrothed to somebody, you've paid a small fortune to, for, to, to make this legal arrangement, this legally binding contract for betrothal, and then, and then, who knows how many months later, who knows how many weeks until the wedding, here comes this news. Your fiancé, your betrothed, is pregnant, and it's not yours. This is stunning, This would be stunning today in a mere engagement like we have. I say mere if a broken engagement is difficult, but it's nothing like this. Nothing. This would be difficult in our environment of hyper-individualism, where we, we establish our identities by throwing off our, our past, our history, and our family roots sometimes. Or like, we, we, we're going to make our own way and create our own path, and we're going to throw off what a tradition that we grew up in to show how we are our own individuals, right? That's at least a common pathway to, to our identities now. Joseph was in an entirely different place. I mean, it was inverse. His identity, his security, his his livelihood, and that of his family and his siblings and his parents was all tied in to his family history, his family pedigree, and his family progeny, where he was going. And all of it in an instant was threatened, was compromised by this news. Mary is pregnant. And then Joseph is visited by an angel. Joseph is visited by an angel. Why? Because what was he considering? What does it tell us in verse 19? We don't know much about Joseph, but we know that he was a just man. Did you see that? Her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Interesting definition of justice. Not wanting to put someone else to shame. Resolved to divorce her quietly. The Bible scholar Christopher Wright makes an important note here for us. For Joseph to go through this whole ordeal, you know, marriage, of course, is off the table. She's pregnant with someone else's baby in a very traditional culture. But Christopher Wright says, Joseph, what what he was giving, the cost to Joseph wasn't merely social or emotional or psychological or romantic. No, no, no. What Joseph was doing here, when it says he resolved to divorce her quietly, he is... He is giving up his right for claim on refund on that dowry. In other words, it had financial cost to Joseph as well. It was costly in every category. And why? Because he didn't want to put her to shame he was owed nothing. Or, or she was owed nothing. He was owed everything, and he resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, I'm not going to make a scene. I'm not going to take this any farther beyond the community elders than it needs to go, and we're just going to end this thing, and there's not going to be any legal suit to get back what is mine. Amazing. Amazing. This is an amazing thing that Joseph is doing, this precedent that he is setting. This this would be so unusual. It would be so unusual for any of us to behave in this way. And it doesn't stop there. It only becomes more outrageous. Enter the angel. The angel comes to Joseph, verse 20. As he considered these things, Joseph considering the divorce, how he's going to manage all of that, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You've got this angel. He steps in. This is the miraculous layered on top of the miraculous. You have messengers from God entering in to explain what's happening. Why? Because nothing like this has happened. We need God's explanation, right? You got Mary also receives a messenger from God to explain what's going on. Zechariah had a messenger from God to explain what's going on. Joseph, right here, receives a messenger from God. Why? To explain what's going on. Yes, Mary is pregnant. Here's the message. from the angel to Joseph, yes, Mary is pregnant. No, it's not yours. Now take her as your wife. It's an outrageous ask. It's an outrageous ask. It would be crazy now in our very progressive culture. Infinitely more so, thousands, of ma- orders of magnitude more so in Joseph's culture. You know what he was doing? When, when, when he obeys the angel, when he obeys the messenger of God, he is basically absorbing all of the gossip of the community. Everyone who says, yeah, I figured it was his. I knew that he wasn't a person of honor that would honor the betrothal until the wedding date. That's what Joseph takes on. This is an outrageous ask. And he does it. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. <laughs> when we approach this text, when I I read it again this week, I was so taken with what Joseph is doing here that I almost missed something else. That it's not the point of the story. It's not. It's point one of this sermon, but it's not the point of the text. It's not the point of the story. Joseph is asked to do something, commanded to do something outrageous, but the point of the story is that God has done something outrageous here. Do you see what I mean? The point of the story, the principal actor in this story is not Joseph. The principal actor is God. He is entering into human history in a radical, intangible, and literally material way for the first time ever. That is outrageous. The principal outrage, the principal scandal is not Joseph's marrying Mary. It is God made human. This is... (laughs) It's it's so there, and it's so repeated. We read, read what, eight, nine verses? It's repeated over and over and over again. The virgin shall conceive. God is coming. Emmanuel, God with us. This this thing, it has never happened before. God himself, the almighty creator, comes to earth. Something outrageous is done by God. And guess what? The outrageous ask of Joseph just pales in comparison. It's, it's, It's minuscule compared to what God is doing here. And I can't think of a better way. I mean, we're going to do something a little bit different today, maybe. And we're just going to literally walk through this passage together, phrase by phrase. Because I can't think of a better way to just present to you what the historian Matthew is trying to get us to see. He's trying to see, get us to see that what is happening here is absolutely scandalous, outrageous, and it's all, it's all precipitated by God right? So we're going to start in verse 18. That's why it's good to have your Bible or your uh, app or whatever and just like keep it there because we're just going to walk through this. Verse 18, again, what does it say? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That's interesting. Matthew is signaling something. If you look in your Bible before that, those fr- the previous 17 verses, what is going on there? Genealogy. Yes, we have somebody who answered, who was courageous enough to answer. Yes, there's a genealogy before this. This is these are the the passages we read through quickly because they're boring. But guess what? This one is not. It's incredible. Matthew has selected, has created a select genealogy. It's not complete, and he's selected names that people know and maybe that people don't know. And what he's doing here is he's saying, look at all of human history leading up to this person. He is pointing backwards by giving a genealogy. He's also pointing backwards to the prophecy about the one who would. about the Messiah he's saying this is the line of David and it leads to Joseph and Joseph is going to be the father of Jesus and do you see what he's getting at here? We've got all of human history this huge arc in all verses 1 through 17 thousands of years of history and, and Matthew is saying look at all these natural births. But the birth of Jesus took place this way. Welcome the supernatural birth of the Almighty God. This is something radically new and different, something that has never happened before. You have kings and rulers in this genealogy. You have good kings. You have wicked kings. You have things that shouldn't be, that the average person would not put in a genealogy. You have refugees and prostitutes and stuff, and you have all of this common stuff, and then you have now the birth of Jesus took place in this way the supernatural, unprecedented God becoming a person. Continues um, in verse 18, when his mother, Mary, was betrothed to to, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This was no ordinary child. This was no ordinary pregnancy. Somehow, somehow, astonishingly, by God's power, she had conceived. She was pregnant. The language is so explicit. Before they came together, it's repeated twice. Joseph and Mary didn't have sex. No sex precipitated this pregnancy. There there isn't a category for it. That's why we have angels explaining it. (laughs) This is what is going on. And then we continue with verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man—this is what we looked at before—unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, that is, how to go about this divorce, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is a miracle stacked on top of a miracle, right? You've got an angel interrupting Joseph's plans, which were already radically generous plans. And God says, how about something a little more generous? take her as your wife. The angel, the messenger of of God comes and he interrupts this and he said, and what what is that word? This word that's repeated. It's in the title of the series, Behold the King. This word that's repeated over and over again throughout the nativity stories in the Bible. Behold! It's a great word. It means look, pay attention, wake up, Snap out of it. Joseph, what what, what is going to give you what you need, what is going to to rescue you is not your family pedigree. It is someone else. It is something else. Behold, behold. The angel of, of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Behold, Joseph, son of David. There's that lineage again. Joseph, son of David. This we have the genealogy, verses 1 through 17. Maybe read that this afternoon. Blow your own mind and be like, I'm going to read a genealogy in the Bible for fun. All right? We get this whole genealogy, and it leads to who? To Joseph. This is so radically like God. His, his preference to choose the un the, the the unusual ways to bring about his providential saving power, right? He 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 can do anything he speaks and spins galaxies into existence. And he chooses this common way to bring himself to earth, to enter into humanity through common labor and delivery. Right through this mess, and not just to anyone, through someone we've never heard of before, Mary. And, and the line of David, to fulfill the prophecy, how is he going to do it? He's going to do it through the foster father. Good. It's amazing. If, if, if you are adopted or if you have adopted children, man, celebrate because you are in good company, the company of Jesus himself. On, you have this, 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 this almighty God who chooses to, to, to display his sovereignty. It's like he's just showing off. It's like he's saying, you want to see the line of David, let me do it in a way no one would ever expect or, or write about. Let me, let me give you a genealogy full of messed up people, and then let it lead to a carpenter of obscurity, and he's going to be the foster father of the Almighty God. This line of David, Joseph was, he was so many like branches down the, the line of David, and nobody approached Joseph and said, hey Joseph, son of David. Nobody did that. He didn't live in a palace. And even David, when Matthew lists David in the genealogy, go back and read it. David would have been, would have been the highest, would have been like the pinnacle of, of leadership of Israel. And what, how does Matthew list him? He says, David, the guy who had a kid by another man's wife. <laughs> he, he's, he's bringing together the, these, these radically disparate kind of things. And by doing so, he's saying, I am God, and it is all under my control in ways that you can't possibly fathom. Amen. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here's this scandal, um, the divine conception. You know, this is critically important, and it's, there's a reason that it's repeated so frequently, right? That that she was a virgin, she was a virgin, she was a virgin, and she's pregnant, and she's pregnant, and she's pregnant, because, you know, this had never happened before, and because in this time, what all of the mythologies, and uh, and other religions, and Greek and Roman gods, what were they? They were, they were like semi-gods that sometimes slept with maidens, and had like half-breed demigods, and you've, you've studied Greek mythology. The Bible is saying this is not that. This is God himself. This is not some crass or crude story about sex. This is God come to earth as a person. The virgin has conceived. The virgin has conceived and she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus, why Jesus? It's interesting. Verse 1, the very first part of the genealogy, uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, the first verse that we read, the book, uh, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. Here Joseph is called to name him Jesus. Mary is called to name him Jesus. Why? What is Jesus all about? Why Jesus? This is a common name at the time. You know, there were, Joseph had friends named Jesus. You know, When we lived in Mexico, we had friends named Jesus, right? You know, this is a common name. Why? Jesus. What is Jesus' meaning? Does anybody know? The Lord saves. The Lord saves. Now listen, when you take the common name, Jesus, the, the name that other people had, and you couple it with the extraordinary and exclusive title, messianic title, Christ, you're doing something very interesting. You're taking the common and the divine and you're combining them do you see even in his name it is a picture of what he is doing it is a picture of what this radical breaking in to the material world that God is doing is on accomplishing on on behalf of his people he is the Lord saves he is the Christ the chosen one the anointed one in the title Christ it's anointed one it's one there's only one of them it's him and this Jesus would be the first bearer of the name that lived it. The Lord saves. He saves. He rescues. And again, you must, you must make the comparison with the genealogy before. This, this messianic prophecy about the coming Savior, it's not just... Uh, the coming Savior isn't yet another king in the line of David. In other words, uh, uh, Matthew listed some great kings, some people who, who did incredible things. He listed some wicked kings. The point is this. You can have a leader that might be able to precipitate some kind of policy change that helps to end corruption or helps to alleviate poverty or helps to acknowledge the oppressed or the marginalized or, or helps to do a number of other things, all good things. And some of the kings in, this passage, in the genealogy do that. No one can do what the prophecy says. What does it say if you keep, continue to read? For he will save his people from their sins. This is something different. This is God himself. Another leader might be able to save someone from corruption, might be able to save someone from poverty, maybe the best. No one can save someone from sin except for God. He's come, he's coming to earth. That's the message, to save people from sin. Are you concerned with tribalism and nationalism and ethnocentrism and all the other sexism, all the stuff in our news? Are you concerned with that? This guy takes care. He eradicates the root cause of all of those things, all of the other things that even our very best human leaders can only hope to alleviate. He goes down to the root, and he takes care of the sin itself. He will save his people from their sins. It's right there. He is the Lord saves. He is the Messiah. He is the messianic king. Continuing with verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. The prophet. This connects it to the old, the, the old story. Pastor D talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is God's plan A. Yeah. <laughs> this is God's plan A. This is what he always intended. He knew that no one could save people from people except for him. Yeah. He's the only way. When Adam and Eve originally, when they did, committed the first sin of distrust of God... What, what did God do? He stepped in even then and promised someone is coming who will set all this right. The prophet spoke of it. It was a promise to Adam and Eve. It was promised to Abraham. It was promised to Moses. It was promised to David. It was promised to Solomon. And here is the fulfillment of that promise. What does the prophet say? This is uh, quoted from Isaiah. Behold. There's that word again. Behold. Pay attention the virgin, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a columnist in the New York Times. Uh, this would have been, I can't remember, earlier this year or late last year. He wrote a column. He published, actually, a column that was an exchange between him and a, and a local pastor and with the permission of the pastor, he just published in the New York Times his exchange with this pastor, and it's kind of these question and answers. One of the things that the columnist says is he says, you know, I deeply admire Jesus and his teaching, but do I have to believe something like the virgin birth and the resurrection? I love that the columnist asked, because I think he's, he's summing up where a lot of people are. The idea of, Chris, uh, of Christmas, the, the, the ethics of Jesus, these are compelling things. Someone who teaches love and, and tolerance, this is good, but the virgin birth, come on, right? Perhaps you're like that today. This is what I would tell you. If you are like that, please, please consider this. If Jesus' message really is admirable, <laughs> if his work on behalf of the weak and the marginalized really is needed, if his candor about people's susceptibility to selfishness really is compelling, if his solutions really are worth listening to, in short, if he really is who he claimed to be, God, then the virgin birth is astonishing, sure. But it's much less so than God becoming a person. You know, don't, get stu- don't, don't make the virgin birth the stumbling block. It is so much less of, of, of something outrageous than God becoming a person. The, the miracle here, what's most astonishing is not that Jesus was born of a virgin, but that he was born. Right. God was born. And then the, the angel goes on, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Joseph and Mary, they named him Jesus. They, they... She'll call him Emmanuel. Why? Because it means God with us. And, and for, for, from that point on, and we do it, we sing it today in churches, Emmanuel, God has come to be with us. Emphasize each of those three words, God with us. God with us. God with us. How can this be? This is Emmanuel. This is the miracle. If he's God, a vir- birth by a virgin is no big deal. The big deal is that he's God. And that he came to be a person. This is so astonishing. Behold, snap out of it. Wake up and notice the outrage, the scandal. This can't. He is Emmanuel. God with us. This matters. This matters more than any other, any other message you're going to receive. Why? Because God is the only one who can do anything about sin. An admirable, an admirable teacher can't do it. An honorable prophet can't do it. Uh, Joseph doing his best to honor his family pedigree won't save him. You trying something different and throwing off family pedigree and tradition won't save you. <laughs> the best leader, a, a political regime change won't do it. Only God can do anything about sin. God made flesh matters because, unlike any historical hero, he is the only one that could get to the bottom of things, that can deal with sin itself and death itself. He can conquer them both, and he did. That's why it matters. When the angel spoke to Mary and later to Joseph, the angel wasn't merely asking Mary and Joseph to do something difficult or at cost to them. He was asking them to trust in God's great salvation plan more than all of the other things around them. And he asked the same of us. And the very first disciples to Jesus. This is so amazing. The very first, if you define discipleship by somebody who listens to the word of God and obeys it, the very first disciples to Jesus are to his disciples when he is in the womb. It's Joseph and Mary. They hear the message and they obey. It's the same for you. Hear the message of Christmas. It's not syrupy sentimentality. No, no, no. It is God with us. It changes everything. It is the hinge point of all of history that God would enter in. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he put it this way, very simply, very succinctly, the infinite became an infant. The infinite became an infant. God with us. Let's pray.